Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 230. Cast is everything. Ridley Scott. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's episode is brought to you by Blackbox. Blackbox is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content. And you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. Today's show is also sponsored by Studio Unknown. Studio Known is a crack team of audio post professionals known for quality sound on any indie budget. Whether you need a lush surround sound mix or a quick festival submission pass, Studio Known can help you with all of your post sound needs, from sound design and mix to Foley, ADR, and even a custom score. Contact Studio Known and mention the Indie Film Hustle podcast, and you'll get 50% off one day of ADR or 10% off your complete post sound package. Just go to studiounknown.com. So today's guest is a returning champion. Actually, he is the champion. He's been on the show, I think, six times at least for all the things that we've done together. Uh, RB Bato from Stage32.com is back on the show. And today we're going to be talking about crowdsourcing for filmmakers, how to actually build an audience, how to you know, really use the power of the crowd. And his new book is called Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers, Indie Film and the Power of of the crowd, which is presented by the American Film Market, which is a pretty big deal. They don't pick many books uh, a year to put their name on. So I've read the book. It's amazing. He really gets into the details and the weeds of how to really understand building that tribe, building that audience up, how to work with them, how to provide value to them, and how to have that crowd support you, support your projects, and what you're trying to do as an artist and as a creative. And this is such an invaluable topic to talk about because so many filmmakers I talk to have no understanding about social media. 
have no understanding about how to create um, an audience or how to in- interact with an audience even once you've created one. It's just it's just such a kind of black magic art form, if you will. And uh, me and RB really sit down in an, of course, epic uh, conversation. You know, every time me and RB sit down and talk, it, it, it runs. So we're close to two hours on this episode uh, because that's just the way we roll. Uh, but there's so much information in there. There is a ton of knowledge bombs in there. So please take a listen to the whole thing. I think you're really going to like it a lot. Oh, and there's also a little treat. We also discuss RB's part in my new feature film, On the Corner of Ego and Desire. I pulled him out of retirement for acting, and he does have a part in the movie, a very significant part, and we will talk about that as well. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with R.B. Bato from Stage 32. I'd like to welcome back to the show returning champion R.B. Bato from Stage 32. Brother, thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you for having me back. What, five times now? This is our fifth time, uh, I think at least the fifth one. You are the record holder on the podcast for the most recurring guest uh, between our Holly Shorts um, uh, conferences, our Sundance interview, and the original interview that that launched our relationship back in twenty uh, number 29. And wow. we're and we're now at two hundred and twenty as of this, as of this recording two hundred and twenty eight. Well, in, in, you know, in post, I want the uh, the ringside bell to ring for the champ. Of course, Rocky. And, uh, of course, and Rocky. I'm, you know, it's like sort of like the Saturday Night Live five time host club, right? I get to be the you, first one, right? The, the um, what you call it? The uh, the um, the bathrobe is on its way. The bathrobe, right? Yes, <laughs> the bathrobe yes. is. On I, may, I may be wearing one right now. You never know. <laughs> but for some strange reason, I think you are, sir. I just don't know why. <laughs> smoking a, a smoking, smoking jacket, a cigar. Yes. Yeah. There's a Manhattan in your hand. I just see yes. it. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we're here yes. today to talk about your book that took you 75 years to write. Yeah, <laughs> and a half, 75 and a half. I think actually. we were talking about this when I first interviewed you two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, um, it's called Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers, Indie Film, and the Power of the Crowd. Yes. And uh, it apparently is a runaway success right now. It's, it's doing very well, you said. Uh, your your publisher's very happy? Yes. Yeah, so I've been told by Focal it's one of the best-selling titles that they've had, and, and they've been around for 20-something years. Um, you know, it's under the, the American Film Market Presents banner, which I think they, you know, AFM picks maybe two or three titles a year. Uh, for that. So I, I don't think that that's hurt me at all. And I'm very you know pleased with that. And, you know, the reviews have been off the charts. I think there's over 50, uh, 55 star reviews on Amazon already, which I'm very, very nice. pleased with. I'm always pleased when people leave these reviews. I actually got one one star review where um, uh, I, the complaint was that I gave examples. That was that was the that was the problem that you gave examples. That was the review. If you like examples, this is a book for you. I was like, I feel like that should be five stars. <laughs> if you want information about crowdsourcing for <laughs> filmmakers, this effing book is for you. It's for you. Otherwise, don't buy it. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was like, I was like, maybe they were dyslexic or something. Maybe I, they thought of, uh, dyslexic with the stars. Maybe every, they thought maybe one meant five. I don't everybody know. Everybody has an opinion. Every, mm-hmm. There's always a hater out there. Trust mm-hmm. me. You know it as well as I do. I'm sure you've yes. had your your taste of haterade in your in your day. 
In my day, yes, yes. But um, you know, but fifty-five star reviews, so I, I'll take those over the the one. You know, I but, gave too much information. But is, <laughs> but the funny thing is, isn't it crazy how we we artists are that you could have a thousand positive reviews, but the one negative one is the one that sticks in your in your head. Nah, well, sometimes, 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 sometimes I will say this and, you know, because I don't want this to be a negative thing. Uh, there have been so many people that have written so many beautiful things on Amazon who have written me about this book and, and talked about how it's changed their entire perspective. And in some cases changed their lives because, you know, with the life changing part of it, not to sound dramatic or, you know, like, uh, like, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curing cancer. Time. You're the second Right. Time. Like, second oh, I am curing cancer here or whatever, but it, but where it's the life changing ones have come in the context of, you know, I was ready to give up because, yeah. you know, I didn't understand how to build an audience. I couldn't get any traction. You know, I had some things that failed. I didn't understand how to do it. And that's extremely rewarding. And, and, you know, some of these people have written just beautiful, beautiful reviews and sent me photos with the book and things like that. Cause that's part of my ask at the end of the book. Um, so I, I can't say enough. And if you're listening and you, uh, are one of the people that left one of those unbelievable reviews, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am because you can't leave a note on Amazon. They don't allow you to do that. So, uh, <laughs> I'm saying it now. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. When you get good reviews, uh, it's, it's, it, it makes you feel like you can keep going, mm -hmm. you know, cause it, what we and do is not easy. No. And it's like, we were talking about off air, look, nobody's getting rich off this book. And I never went into this thing <laughs> thinking that, right, you know, right. thinking that I was going to break the bank or, you know, that I was going to be, you know, trading, uh, uh, publishing notes with uh, Stephen King anytime soon, or with, uh, you know, any, any other bestseller author that you bestselling author you right. can think of. But, but, you know, I wrote it because, you know, one, I was asked and two, because I felt like I had something to offer and I could bring some value to people and for people to, uh, creatives to recognize that, um, that is well worth it and, and has made the whole journey, uh, very rewarding. Yeah. Unless your name is King Rowling or Patterson, you're not right. really making a whole lot of money on book sales. No, <laughs> no, not really. So let's get into it. So what is the difference between crowdsourcing and crowdfunding? Because I know there is a, a lot of misunderstanding in regards to both. Yeah, misunderstandings, misconceptions. And I, and I, and I want to settle one other one before we jump into that. And that is, you know, the book is called Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers. Uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit and I was talking about it over the weekend at, at FilmCon, the conference that we hosted that, you know, it's not, I, I went, I kind of went to the mattresses with my <laughs> publishers about this because I wanted it to be called film, uh, crowdsourcing film creatives because rea the reality of the situation is the strategies and, uh, all the information within is applicable to actors, screenwriters, filmmakers, cinematographers, crew people. And then beyond the, I mean, Focal publishes film books, so that's why this is, you know, a filmmaking book. But realistically, it's for entrepreneurs and business people. The tenets and the strategies and and the rules, if you will, are applicable to everyone looking to build an audience for the brand of them, the brand of their projects, you know, the the brand of their products. It doesn't matter. It's it's really for everybody. So I just want to clear that up because a lot of people just say, oh man, filmmakers, why don't you do one for screenwriters? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's the same thing. It, yeah, it's the same thing. It's for all film creatives. And and again, even if you're an entrepreneur, and I consider all creatives to be entrepreneurs because really you are the as, CEO. As they CEO of you. Yeah, you're the CEO of you. Um, but crowdsourcing and crowdfunding, you asked. Uh, yes. People will always say to me, thank you for writing this book. I'm looking to raise money. I'm like, eh, hold on. Um, <laughs> crowdfunding. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the good news and the bad news. It's, it's not a crowdfunding book, but that's, that's just kind of bad news. The good news, there's a lot of good news to come. The good news is, is that 
Uh, well, let me define it first. Crowdfunding is raising funds either through equity-based or reward-based uh, crowdfunding. Uh, you know, you go to the audience, you uh, raise funds uh, that you they either get a p in equity based crowdfunding to get a piece of the film in rewards based. They usually get uh, some sort of either Chotsky or reward or, you know, an EP, depending on what, uh, you know, the person that's running the, the project wants to give away. And then crowdsourcing is all about uh identifying, engaging, and moving an audience on behalf of you, the brand of you, the brand of your projects, the brand of your products. And it's all about how do you go about finding who that audience is, engaging them in a proper way, giving them ownership of what you're doing, getting them involved in what you're doing to the point where they're so passionate about you or the project, or in some cases, both. And we can talk about that a little bit as we go along, that they want to move on your behalf to spread the word for you and to go out there and build an army of support so you, or so you have an army of, of supporters, like, you know, as I like to say, boots on the ground that are going out and spreading like wildfire, uh, the word of you, your, your projects or your brand, uh, the brand of you, the brand of your projects or the brand of your products. Now you, you, you touched on something a little earlier, right before the, on, that all creative should be entrepreneurs. I really want to focus a little bit on that quite on that statement because it's something that I preach constantly and so many filmmakers, so many screenwriters, so many creatives don't think of themselves as entrepreneurs. They just like, Oh, I'm just a work for hire or I'm just an artist. I don't want to think about that kind of stuff. I think in today's world, if you do not think yourself as an entrepreneur, you're, you, the chances of you making it, even if you're in the studio system even, or going after the studio system kind of work, you still have to think of yourself as an entrepreneur. Do you agree? Not only do I agree, but I think it's the reason why the subject of crowdsourcing at this moment is legitimately and seriously the most important Thing that we could be discussing because we're living in a DIY world. All right. We're living in, and what I mean by a DIY world is that there is more content being created than ever. There are more people trying to take control of their material than ever before. There are more creatives that have worked in one space, let's say as an actor or as a screenwriter who now want to become filmmakers or producers so that they can control their own content that are going out there trying to find their own financing. It is more important than ever to understand the concepts and the tenets of crowdsourcing because the idea is you are an entrepreneur and you do have a brand and you may even have brands that have sort of sub brands, if you will. So everybody is trying to fight for that same little piece of ground, right? Everybody is on social media trying to rise above the noise and we can get into some best practices and everything like that. The question becomes, how do you separate yourself from the pack? How do you identify how do you identify an audience for what you're looking to do, what your projects are about, who you know what you're about in general, and then engage them in such a way that they become champions of you. Mm -hmm. In this business, you are nothing without champions. You are nothing without relationships. And the problem is that there's so many people in this business that all they concern themselves with is the craft. But the reality of the situation is you have to understand the business and you have to understand the brand of you and where it fits in and how you're going to attract 
an army of people that are going to go to war for you and in support of you. Mm -hmm. That is really what separates out the people that have major success from the people who don't. I always say, if you look at two equally talented people, if you will, Mm -hmm. the one that has the most success isn't the lucky one. I hate when people say, oh, they're so lucky. It's not luck. They're putting themselves in the best position to win. They're building the right relationships. They're for, they're, they're nurturing those relationships. They're asking their audience and the people that they, you know, they, the, the army that they built to go out on their behalf because they built that audience in a selfless giving way, in a, in a giving way that's, that's presented value the whole way through. Those are the people that are winning every day. They, who, they just are. Who is the director of Jurassic World? It was also um, the Safety Not Included. Oh, Jesus. You know what I'm talking about, right? I do know what you're talking about. Not, um, oh, God, I'll have to look it up. But that director, he went from Safety Not Guaranteed, which was a small indie movie, which was like under $3 million, $4 million, mm-hmm. which starred Mark Duplass, to Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. And people were like, how the hell did that happen? And from what I heard on the street was that he had champions. No doubt. He had been writing for a while, but he always was in the conversation for these big movies, for these big tentpole movies to the point where his name finally came up. I think from what I heard that he had made a relationship with Brad Pitt. And uh, I think at that last point, Steven Spielberg even said he's okay. He's, he's, he's good. And that's the way he walked in because you don't get a a mass, a a major franchise relaunching a major franchise like that without some champions. There is no question. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I'm kind of in a new, unique position where, you know, I've worked as an, a, you know, an actor, a writer, a producer throughout my career um, or an actor. Let's say just on the front end as an actor and a writer. Um, and then I've been on the other side where I've worked as a producer where talent is sort of coming to me or where, you know, the money we're going to get the money and everything like that. I've seen it from both ends. And the reality of the situation is, is that more often than not, and especially more often in this day and age, if it comes down to, you know, making a decision on a couple of different people or in the direction you're going, more often than not, and I would say, I mean, I would literally say like 99.9 times out of 100, the person that comes with that army of support behind them, the person that comes with those champions, the, the champions speaking loudly for that person to either get that role or be involved in the project or get that gig or whatever the hell it is, mm-hmm. that's the person that usually gets it. Okay, and at least always gets them in the room. And I actually saw this recently on a screenplay that I wrote that is at Covert Medium. We were attaching our director. The director, you know, it, I can't get too far into this story because it's still evolving and everything like that. But but it was a situation where some of the people on the team said, "Okay, there's some accomplishments there, but you know, there's some other there's some other uh, directors in play." And, you know, they have, you know, maybe their accomplishments are a little bit more, their credits are a little bit stronger. They're maybe, you know, they had a a hit more, you know, more recently and things like that. Mm -hmm. But there were a few of us that said, no, you know what? Get in the room, let him in the room. You have to see the way this guy handles the room and you got to see. And we went down that road and sure enough that, you know, because there were these voices that were trusted voices in the room, which we were, they said, okay. Let's let's hear it. Let's hear him out. 
and he went in and he won over the room twice. But and without but without those voices, he'd never get in the room. He wouldn't have been on the list. He would have been off the list because we were going down the list one by one, going, eh, nah, man, maybe, eh, yeah, he's on, yeah, we'll talk to him, yeah. And that's what we were doing. That's what the whole meeting was about. And it was one of these things like, nah, I don't know, I don't know. And it was like, all right, if you guys really believe that, we trust what you're saying and we believe you guys and we know you guys we never want to hurt the project and, you you know, let's let's have him in. And it mattered. And this is a guy that networks all the time. This mm-hmm. is a guy that is out there and he networks in a very selfless way. Anytime you're in this guy's company and he knows people around him, he's making introductions. It's not always about him. It's, it's that selflessness thing that we always talk about that rule of three, you know, that we always talk about, you know, uh, give three times before you ask for anything. He has a lot of that in him. And that's, you know, the, the most successful people who crowdsource and the most successful people that build relationships really have that you know, kind of in bread or they learn, you know, people can learn it, but you know, it's, it's adapting that sort of uh, mindset, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and most people don't have that. Most people don't. No. And, and it's also like, I know of a guy, a friend of mine um, who works for a company that does stuff, you know, for fil- the film industry. And he's constantly connecting me with people. Like mm-hmm. he's like introducing, constantly introducing it. And then I always try to do that as much as possible. And then I've, I've introduced people to you. You've introduced people to me. It's just something that we do like, oh, these guys will get along. Great. Boom. Here you go. And I do it selfishly. Like no reason. I, I'm not asking anything of it. I'm like, I just want to put two people who I think will do good together or shouldn't meet each other, meet them. And if something happens one day in the in the future about it, great. But it's not even my thought process. It's just about helping those people selflessly at that moment. Yeah. I mean, kindness and generosity pays. I mean, I, you know, it it sounds so cliche, but it really isn't. I mean, it, it, this is a business of, it's a small business and people really do want to help each other. And it's, you know, the, the people in this industry, a lot of them get a bad rap and that's not to say that there aren't, uh, selfish people and egotistical people in this business. There certainly are. They're usually at the higher level and, and, you know, they're probably not in a position where they feel like they need to give, but there are so many people in this industry who do want to give. I mean, I take, I'm at meetings all the time where people are, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. What can I do for you? And I love that. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I, there isn't one meeting that I don't go into where that's not a question that I ask. And usually it's the first question I ask, what are you up to? Well, one of the first, like, what are you up to? Any way I could help you? Any way I could help you get what you're looking to do right now or help you get where you're looking to go right now. Mm -hmm. That's, that's not a game. You know what I mean? That's, that's inbred in me. I I know it's important. Okay. And I know it's part of relationship building. And I, you know, it's not like you said, it's not like I'm looking for something in return. It's just that, look, this is the way that you build long lasting and fruitful relationships. Absolutely. And it's weird because, you know, you and I have had this conversation a lot for some people that are listening to this right now, they're going to go like, well, you know, isn't that obvious? You may think so, no, but, it's I, but not. I, I'll tell you what, if you really think it's that obvious, here's what I challenge you to do. Go on Twitter and click on your home stream and start scrolling through, scrolling through. <laughs> you know, start looking through your, your stream and you'll see how many people have the wrong approach. It's insane. And I always talk about having a competitive advantage in this business and trying to find every competitive advantage you can get. The people that actually handle themselves well on social media and understand how to manage their brand on social media, have a competitive advantage over probably 90% of the people out there. And that, and that's something that you could put into practice today. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So 
it, it does matter and it does have an impact. And man, I could tell you stories where it's had an impact where people haven't gotten jobs just simply because of the way that they handle themselves either in a room or, or on online. Oh, on abs- yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, just to, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, the director's name is Colin Trevolo. There Tre- you Trevor go. Yes, Trevor. Yes, yes, Thank yes. you. Colin Trevolo. So yes. now everybody's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> it was probably driving. It was probably driving people listening crazy. Like, who is that? Or the opposite? Like, it's Colin, Alex. Uh, Colin. I mean, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Somebody. Somebody screened his name out while running on the treadmill and at the entire gym, just looking at them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Now, yeah. what are some common mistakes when crowdsourcing or just doing social media in general? Well, you know, when you get on social media, when you sign up for any account, uh, you know, for any platform, you're really basically being handed a microphone, right? So that microphone, you know, now you have direct access to people and you have an amplified voice. That's fantastic. But that doesn't mean that you go into the middle of a crowd. Now, think about this. If you were on a city street, you wouldn't run into the middle of a crowd and go, me, you know, like me, look at me, <laughs> me. But that's really what you're doing on social media. And a lot of people do that. And nothing makes me tune out faster than somebody that their first point of contact with me is look at my, check out my, help me with, you know, that kind of thing. That bothers the hell out of me. Okay. Mm-hmm. I always say like, you know, treat your online persona and treat your online behavior the same way that you would offline. So, you know, if you're going, I think that people get so freaking crazy behind their screens that they don't realize that this is a human interaction because all they see is, a, a, you know, an, an icon or an avatar right, or whatever. Right. So they, you know, they don't, they don't realize that it's, it's a, uh, it's a human thing and it really is. It's a relationship thing. So for me, you know, if I'm looking to go connect with somebody and everybody is accessible pretty much on social media and there's been plenty of times that I have gone searching for or, you know, trying to connect with somebody who has achieved a very high level of success and, you know, may not want to respond to me. What I always try to do is, first of all, I do my research because that's another huge mistake that people make. They have no idea who they're talking to or they have, they know the name, but they know nothing about them or they know nothing about what, and, you know, and they approach them in a way that, again, is, not only selfish, but maybe is coming from a place that's not very knowledgeable. Those people are going to get ignored. For me, if I'm approaching somebody for the first time, not only am I going to make it about them, but I'm going to make it personal in a way that makes them realize. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to talk to them about their biggest success or the most obvious thing. I'm going to talk to them about something that, you know, a, a, a video that I saw that where they talked about a specific thing five years ago. Why, you know, do you still think like that? As times, you know, if times change, like you know, you make it something that makes them go, "Wow, this this guy really, you know, knows a little bit about me and made it personal." That's another mistake that people make. They don't know who their target is. You know, they don't understand who they're going after and who they're talking to. So those are two, you know, two obvious ones, I guess, a little bit in a way again to some people, but not very obvious. I mean, again, even on stage 32, you know, I'll get hit up every day, even on like Instagram or Twitter, where people will send me direct messages and say, what is stage 32.com? Right. And I'll say, well, in the time it took you to write that, you could have typed that into a browser and you could have figured out what stage32.com is. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's an awareness thing. It's, again, what would you do in a real life, I hate saying real life and online life, but, you know, some people relate to that, in, you know, a, a real life confrontation or in a real life uh, um, engagement, what would you do? Do the same thing online. You know, be, again, just be selfless. I mean, that's, that's a good way in. You know, the other mistake that people make is that 
they, they, the material that they post, again, I feel like I'm saying <laughs> obvious things, but it's true. The material oh. that they post is, you know, again, like here's a clip from my film. Here's a clip. Of, and it's like, no, no, no. Share content. Ask questions. Be personal. Be a communicator. Don't be a broadcaster. Be a communicator. And I think that's probably the biggest mistake on social media is that people are broadcasters and not communicators. Yeah, with, yeah, without question. And I think one of the stories that you have in your uh, in your little bag of tricks that you always bring out, which I love, is the Austin Film Festival story. Can you tell yes. that? Can you tell that story? Because it's it's so it's such an allegory. <laughs> Uh, it is, and it's in the book. So uh, you know, I'm going to tell this. It's still by the book. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll tell. It. There's a few other things in the book. Yeah, there's the a ton of stuff in the book. But yeah, the Austin Film Festival story is is just an unbelievable one, and it's uh, all right. So there there is a director. The Austin Film Festival, if you're not familiar with it, is a screenwriting centric. Uh, it's a film festival, but the conference that's attached to it is a screenwriter-centric conference. So everything revolves around screenwriting. They get some very, very good uh, panelists down there and speakers down there. They're usually pretty accomplished screenwriters, or at least some of them are. One of them that is down there kind of often is somebody you would all know. I'm not going to name him. And he's somebody you would all know. He has a couple of Oscars to his name. You've got you got to uh, tell me the, his name off, off air. Yeah, I will. And... <laughs> And he's, you know, he's a writer director and, uh, you know, he's written some of the biggest blockbusters of all time. He also wrote some really great independent films and directed some of those. And then he kind of fell out of favor. And, you know, now he's kind of back in vogue again as, as these things happen in Hollywood, especially in the studio system. But anyway, he was down at the Austin Film Festival and I got to, you know, he's, he's, he suffers no fools, this guy. And, uh, He's just an interesting cat, man. And I had seen him like sort of eviscerate somebody the year before and on a panel (laughs) asking a stupid question. And uh, him and I, you know, we kind of became friends. We would we would sit down in between panels sometimes because at the Austin Film Festival, there is a lot. There's a hotel bar that everybody goes to after the panels are over. And that's one of the beautiful things about it is that the writers can mingle with the panelists and the panelists hang out and everything like that. So he said to me, let's go grab a drink before the last panel lets out because then you know it's going to be madness and i said okay fantastic and we were sitting on the couch and in, in, in the bar having a cocktail and all of a sudden the panel uh, the last panel comes out and now they come rushing in and there's a line of people that are starting to there's a line starting to form sort of in front of them and he goes okay here we go here we go and he <laughs> says all right here's what we're gonna do he goes uh one at a time he goes and and uh the rest of you line up uh, at least 10 feet behind because he didn't want anyone behind overhearing his conversation with anyone he was speaking to sure. or speaking with. So the first guy comes up and he's all swagger and I wish I could, you know, I wish this wasn't all audio cause I would act it out. A little bit. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, it really is great. And he's all swagger. And I mean, it was one of these things where, I mean, I think the guy took two steps and I was like, man, this is going to end badly. This is absolutely, he hadn't even opened his mouth yet, but I'm like, this is the just, energy was just flowing. Man, over. Like, this is just going to end badly. You could just see it, the body language, the swagger. And he walks up and he says, how you doing? He goes, my name's Joe. And he's like, he starts going into this whole thing. He goes, I have this screenplay and, da, da, da. and he just launches. I mean, he just launches into this thing. And uh, this writer director who is being pitched now, uh, just starts looking around the room, starts sipping his drink. He checks out the TV where ESPN is playing. He's doing everything. He leaned back to me and he said, you want another when the waitress came by? 
And this guy, the, the, the guy pitching didn't skip a beat, just kept going. Sure. And didn't, I mean, didn't make eye contact with this guy once. Right. And so finally he hits the end, Joe hits the end and he says, uh, so what do you think? You want to read my script? And this guy says to him, he goes, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, were you talking to me this entire time? And he took, he put his hand out and he goes, I'm, and he said, he named his name, you know, he said his name and he said, uh, what was your name? And the guy was like, well, the kid's like, you know, Joe. And he goes, Joe. He goes, so this entire time, he goes, I'm assuming, he goes, I guess you were just pitching me your screenplay, huh? And he said, well, yeah. And he goes, well, Joe, he goes, let me tell you something. He goes, if I was stranded on a desert island, he goes, and all my favorite books washed out to sea, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't read your fucking screenplay. <laughs> Who's next? Right. Damn. So next comes up. <laughs> so he just walked away with his tail between his legs. Oh, he, yeah. He was just like completely devastated. That, well, yeah. And, 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 and deservedly so. And deservedly so. I mean, this was, this was, this was a guy that should have known better. You know what I mean? And he wasn't, I he up, wasn't 15 years old. <laughs> no, 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 no. Got it. And, so he walks away and up comes this woman and, you know, probably I would say, you know, maybe 24, 25. And she says, you know, she introduces herself, she shakes his hand and she says to him, and this is her opening. She says, you know, I, I wanted to ask you a question about, and she names a film that was his biggest bomb by far. Okay. And in the, an indie film that just completely bombed. And she said, there's a scene in the film where this actress says this line. And she said the line. She goes, and I couldn't help but feel that maybe the actress improved that line. That maybe, you know, that it might not have been written that way. And I'm just curious, did you decide to write it that way? Or was that an actor choice or her choice? And he just looked at her like he was dumbfounded. And yeah. he looked at her and he said, okay, two things. He goes, First of all, he goes, outside of my wife, he goes, you're the only person that's seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he, goes, I think it, he goes, I think it opened at 9 o'clock, he goes, at the Landmark in L.A., and I think it was out at theaters by 9.03. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, second of all, he goes, I can't believe not only that you recognize this in a scene, he goes, but that this is what you wanted to ask me about. He goes, you are 100% right. He goes, I wrote that scene 10 times. He goes, we could not get it right. I goes, it just was not working. And the actress said to me, let me take a shot at it. And I said, okay. And she nailed it. And we were like, holy hell, let's move on. So he said to her, he goes, tell me every, tell me about you. Okay. Because isn't that going to be the, nat the natural next question, right? And she went into all about her writing and everything she did and, you know, and, and, and what she was working on right now. And he reaches into his back pocket and he pulls out a business card and he says to her, I come down here every year with three of these cards. Most years I go home with all three. You, so when you go home, you send me the script that you think is the best that you would like me to read. I will read it. I will call you and we will go over it and I will see if wow. I can help you with it. Okay. Not only did he do that and did he follow through on his promise, but he, uh, he ended up helping her get her rep, her manager. 
He ended up helping her get her agent. That led to her getting her agent. And today, they are still very, very close friends to the point where he sends her drafts <laughs> of his scripts. And again, if you knew who this was, oh, the I, fact I, I can't girl, wait to find yeah, out. The fact, that, the fact that this woman is getting drafts of these scripts in complete confidence, it, you would be complete. Uh, some people on this, uh, listening to this podcast would be jealous enough to run into traffic. Wow. So, but that just goes to show you, it's all about approach and yeah. it's all, he made, it, he made it, she made it about him. And what a lot of people in this business don't realize is that, you know, so many people are so anxious to come. I mean, like even at FilmCon, we, you know, we just did this conference, like I said, at the LA, at the LA uh, convention center, it was 14 hours and I was being pulled in a million different yes, directions. Yes. Three panels. You saw it. Yes, you, saw it. you were being beat up left and right, man. Even at the end of a 14-hour day, I had somebody come up to me and say, "You can can I take five minutes to pitch you my script? And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I don't know you. But let me ask you a question. But I want to ask you, like, you, what if they pitch you your script, what are they expecting you to do with that? Well, because they know I produce. Right. You know what I mean? So they're thinking, like, if you're looking for something or whatever – um, no, but I know, but you produce, but you, I mean, but you're, you're a busy dude. I don't see, well, I don't see like you producing 20 movies this year. <laughs> no, well, of course, but the other part of it too, is that, you know, it's not the point. The point is that like, come on, 14 right, hours. It, yeah, come on. It, it, why not come up to me and say, Hey, this mine, I'm so-and-so and, and, uh, you know, thank you so much for today. Thank you for putting this on. I learned so much, you know? Maybe somewhere down the road, you know, or, or even like ask me, like, what are you working on right now? Like outside of doing this, like, you know, you get my point. It's yeah, all it's approach, approach. It's approach. It's approach. It's, it's approach. approach. And it was funny. I will, I will end this story by saying that I, you know, at the following year, I sat down with this, uh, this writer director again and we had a drink and I reminded him of, I told him I was putting this into the, into the book and, and wasn't going to name it and everything. And I, but I leaned over and I was telling him the first part of the story and he just paused and then he just leaned over to me and he went, too harsh. <laughs> it was just awesome. The timing, the timing, oh, the timing was unbelievable. And I went too, too harsh. And I actually said, "I go honestly, I go, I don't think so." He goes, "Me neither," because I didn't lose any sleep. It sounds, it almost sounds like it's Don Rickles. I mean, mm. <laughs> that delivery too harsh, too harsh. <laughs> too harsh. Have, I, have I gone too far? <laughs> oh, I miss Rickles. Now you're man. dating yourself. I know I miss Rickles though, man. Ah, no, oh, he was unbelievable. I miss unbelievable. Rickles. Um, all right, so how do you identify the crowd that you're trying to reach in, in, in general? Great question. And this is the problem that a lot of people, this is one of the biggest mistakes people make. And, you know, I started earlier, we were talking about the difference between crowd, uh, crowdfunding and crowdsourcing. And I said that there is good news. And the good news is, because this is going to play into this, because if you're looking to crowdfund something, we're going to talk, this is going to, everything we're about to talk about is going to play into this as well. First of all, in the book, there are two chapters on crowdfunding, and I'll get to the reason why those are in there. And then there are three case studies that involve at least partially the funds being raised through crowdfunding. Now, why are they in there and why, you know, why would in a crowdsourcing book when I'm saying they're not the same? There has never been a successful crowdfunding campaign in the history of crowdfunding that did not involve an element of crowdsourcing. Right. That is the truth. Okay. The reason why most crowdfunding campaigns fail, in fact, I would say probably nine out of 10, that the primary reason why they fail is because the people behind the campaign did not crowdsource first. They just put the damn thing up, said, if you build it, they will come. And, uh, you know, doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. 
Field of Dreams, but not <laughs> not in. It's a great uh, movie. It's a great movie. Why would they lie? Yeah, that's why. But that's why there was no sequel because it only works once. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where do, honestly, I would kill to see a sequel to Field of Dreams. Like, where do you go from there? <laughs> Probably it's the best time to go pitch it because you know the studios have run out of the bank. That's true. That's true. Field of Dreams pitch. too, mixed with Field Titan- Titanic too. <laughs> or we could just pitch it like uh, we could pitch it as a TV show and make it like Lost style, where every single player gets their own episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, oddly enough, I could see that on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, so identifying your crowd. So identifying the crowd, you know, think about the, the, the mistake you talked about. You asked me earlier, like, what are the mistakes? And, and you know, I went on this long-winded thing about, you know, uh, uh, social media. But it really – it's it's there's so many different mistakes, and this is really one of the biggest ones, is that people think the audience for their film or even the audience for their own personal brand is everyone. And that's just not true. It's never been true. It's never been true of any film. I You know, you can name – the uh, most, you know, the highest rated on IMDb films of all time, you know, because that's an audience based rating, uh, you know, films that have won Oscars, you will find detractors of those films. Oh, no, Shawshank Redemption, which is arguably, I think, I think it's number one, or if it's not number one, it's Godfather, one of those two. Yeah. But anytime I feel bad about anyone saying anything negative about me, I just go and type up in Google, bad review Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, <laughs> I true. just I, and I go read these bad reviews because there were bad reviews of Shawshank Redemption, and you're just There's like, no doubt. what the hell are these people thinking? <laughs> no, and I'm a listen. I'm a huge Godfather and Godfather Two fan, but I mean, you'll get people that are like, you know, I don't like mob movies, or sure. I like, you know, I mean, look, it's just it's just the way it is, right? You're not there. there is. Not everybody. There's not a. There's not one film, one book, one piece of art that has ever been universally loved. And uh, the same go. The same is true for people. So, and the same is true for every brand and for every product and for every film. Especially if you look at a film like a product, which you should in a lot of ways. It's you know, you it, people think like, man, I need to carpet bomb the hillside and canvas everybody. That's a huge mistake, and it's a very big waste of time, energy, resources. But that's, stu- have- but that's the studio plan, and they can have they have the pockets to do that. Right. I mean, and they can carpet, right, exactly, because they can carpet bomb the hillside, and and you know, let's face it, at the end of the day, the film really, really is. A, a product that's a small piece of a small part of a bigger corporation, you know, that mm. is publicly traded on Wall Street. So what the hell do they care? Right. Um, <laughs> right. But for an independent it, film. It didn't help Justice League. It didn't help. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would hope it would, I, you know, it, it shouldn't help a lot of the freaking things they're releasing. But, you know, <laughs> one day the public will speak with their wallets instead of bitching or, or right. close their wallets instead of bitching. But, but I digress. Yes. Yes, but niche, anyway. I think I think as I, I always say, the riches are in the niches, and I think that's I, true. I think that's true. I think that's very true. I think that's very true. But you know, for people who are going out making their first film, you know, you have to understand, right? It's not about you. It, this is the idea by identifying your audience. Okay, if you can remove yourself for a second from the equation. And you, you, and it's very, very hard for people to do, by the way. And if you can just look at, I'm saying this for people who are starting out and people who are, are going to try to build an audience for the first time for a film. And we could talk about personal brands in a second too, but for the film, you have to know who is the audience for this film, who is going to watch this film, or who is going to be interested in the subject matter of this film. The three case studies I have in the book are very specific about this from the standpoint of 
this, these producers and the people that were behind the campaigns, the crowdsourcing campaigns, understood who their audience was for this film. An example of this, there's a, uh, a case study called Mile, Mile and a Half in the book. It's, it's a documentary that did extremely well. It ended up being like the number two documentary after Hero Dreams of Sushi for a couple of months. It sold out the LA Film Festival to the point where they had to have two, two screenings, two uh, screens, which had never happened before. And that was because they crowdsourced for so long that the audience came out in droves. Mm. But what they did early on was they said, okay, Here's the basis of this documentary. Six or seven, I forget the number exactly, film uh, cinematographers, photographers, directors of photography, cinematographers, and one sound engineer are going to hike the John Muir Trail, which is a 206-mile trail in the Pacific Northwest. They're going to do it in its entirety for the purposes of not only being – you know, a select few, they get to do this every year. They get to do, get the permit to do it all the way across, but they were going to film all these different ecosystems and the beauty along this trail. They were going to be the first film crew to really, really film it. They were going to bring state of the art equipment and they were going to go out and film it and, and record it, uh, in a way that had never been seen before. Okay. Doesn't sound like the sexiest thing. And they wanted to go out and raise like 85 grand and they were going to do a lot of it through crowdsource, uh, crowdfunding. So again, I mean, that's a pretty hefty raise for something that seems like very niche and very sort mm-hmm. of, you know. but what they did was they said, okay, who is the audience for this film and who would support what we're trying to do? Well, we have the gearheads because we're going to bring all this latest equipment. We're going to, we're going to have, uh, the film enthusiasts that really appreciate, um, uh, seeing this type of film. We're going to documentary fans, but also we're going to go to the fitness enthusiasts, the hikers, the campers, the outdoors people, the outdoorsmen and women. Okay. And what they do is they started targeting all these organizations, both online and offline to say, this is what we're looking to do. You know, can we get your input on this? They started building a crowd. They identified who that crowd was. Mm -hmm. And then they started engaging them in a way to give them ownership. For example, they're like, we're going to be gone for a long time. Can you guys give us the 10 best recipes that you could fit in a little travel cup so that we don't have to – because we're going to be carrying all this equipment, man. Like how do we travel light? Mm -hmm. And people started saying, well, you got to do this. And the people that come up with the 10 best ideas are going to get a free DVD when this thing comes out or they're going to get free access or they're going to get free – um, you know, a free trip to the premiere at the LA Film Festival or whatever. They, they made it, they gave everybody ownership. They made them a part of it. And then what ended up happening? Some of their fans, a couple of their fans went to REI and said, Hey, you got to check out what these guys are doing. And guess what happened? REI said, don't spend money on equipment. We'll give you all the equipment. All we want is it just, you know, put our name in the credits. That's all we care about and do well and make it cool. And we'll even blog about it on our blog on the REI list. So all of a sudden, they're sourcing this crowd to the point where by the time it played at the L.A. Film Festival, like I said, the line was around the corner. By the time it came out on iTunes, they were still communicating with the crowd and they had delivered on every promise that they said, look, it's coming out tomorrow. Please stream it. Please tell everybody. You know how hard it is to debut at number two on iTunes? Oh, it's insanely difficult. Okay. Insanely difficult. But it was because they knew their audience, they knew how to engage them, and they knew how to move them. And that's what I'm saying. So there's, there's, you know, everybody wants to put the brand of themselves out, out there first, okay, as opposed to the brand of their projects. 
And I, and here's the way I'll explain it to it, explain it to uh, the audience in, in a way that to me, it makes the most sense. And I think even you'll appreciate this. Alex. Mm-hmm. I know you're a fan of this guy, but think about your favorite filmmaker. Think mm-hmm. about your favorite director or one of them, right? One of my favorite directors is P.T. Anderson. Yeah. Of okay. When Hard Eight came out, somebody said to me, first of all, I love independent films. I love gambling movies. I like crime movies. I like all, you know, right in my wheelhouse, right? And somebody said to me, like, dude, you got to go check out this movie. It's right, you know, it's an indie. It's got, you know, this crime element. It's got that really heavy character driven shit that you like. You got to go check this thing out. And I went to go see Hard Eight. I didn't know P.T. Anderson from, you sure. know, the nobody. guy. What was the guy at Night Court? What was that, Anderson? I don't know. Oh, God. The other, uh, Paul yeah. Anderson. Well, whatever. It's yeah. whatever. Any Anderson you can name. Craig T. Oh, God. Now you got yeah. me. I got to look him up now. <laughs> Damn it. So anyway, I went to go see Hard Eight, and I'm like, holy hell. Not only is this movie great, but this director is unbelievable. So now I went from being a fan of the film to a fan of P.T. Anderson. And I said, okay, whatever this guy does next, which ended up being Boogie Nights. But at that point, we didn't know what he was going to do next. But I was like, whatever this guy does next, I'm going to go see. And since then, of course, anything P.T. Anderson does, I'm there. So it's the same thing with you. It's the same thing with your brand. It's, you know, if you're looking to put your projects out there, your writing out there, even the brand of your reels in a lot of ways, your acting brand, so to speak, it's, it's got to precede sort of the brand. The work has to precede you. Okay, because then if you deliver on everything you're doing, then the people who you've engaged and moved and, you know, that you've you've delivered every promise to now they're fans of you. Now, all of a sudden, your brand takes hold. The brand of you takes hold. And that's the thing that a lot of people kind of miss is that, you know, everybody wants to go out there and shout out what they're all about. But again, if you have champions talking about what you're about, that carries a lot of weight. If you're standing in the middle of the street screaming, going, look at me, I'm fantastic, nobody cares. You know what I mean? <laughs> Until you prove that you're fantastic. Then you can stand out in the middle of the street and let them rip your clothes off like, you know, I don't know. The Beatles. Like, like the Beatles, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, By the way, it was Harry Anderson. Harry Anderson. <laughs> so I would have known P.T. Anderson from Harry Anderson. Wow. Now I certainly do. Now we are extremely dated. A night court reference. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of Andersons, and that was the first one. Just, yeah. We're old folks, guys. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Continue, sir. Well, speak for yourself. Man. I mean, obviously you're 18, but <laughs> but you watch a lot of reruns. Uh <laughs> Well, you know, TV land, you know, I come across it every once in a while. <laughs> now, let me, ask you, let me ask you something. What is the difference between advertising, marketing, and crowdsourcing? Well, I mean, again, I, I think, we, you know, marketing is sort of the cousin of crowdsourcing, but advertising I won't even get into because, I mean, advertising, I mean it's, that, that's also in the book. I go through a whole long thing of that because I've, I've seen people that try to explain crowdsourcing as – a form of advertising. It certainly isn't, you know, mm-hmm. advertising is, is at its, you know, at its core, you're paying for, uh, promotion, awareness yeah. and awareness. And, um, you know, with marketing, it is a sort of a cousin to marketing, but even with marketing, it's not, uh, again, marketing is more of a broadcasting kind of thing. Marketing right. isn't really an inclusive thing. Marketing is a one-sided thing. And I think if we're going to drive any point home here today, it's that, Building an audience is not, it's a two-way street, but really it should be a one-way street out for a very, very long period of time before the traffic could come back into you. And 
I, that's, that's the really huge difference between the two. Crowdsourcing is really, really, really all about knowing who you're talking to and then shutting the hell up and listening, you know, asking the right questions and then listening and then giving the people what they ask for. And that's how you really build that audience. You know, I mean, look, if you look at the one thing that when I say it's a cousin, when a film company that has money and marketing dollars knows their audience, they will, of course, you know, do some demographic research and go out and advertise in those places. I love baseball. I'll go to a baseball stadium. If there's a baseball movie out, there'll be ads to that baseball movie everywhere. They know that they know to advertise there. Sure, they're freaking sure. they're freaking geniuses, right? <laughs> right. Okay. But that's still a one way thing. Okay. The crowdsourcing part of this is knowing your audience in a way that, you know, again, you're engaging them and giving them the feeling of being involved to the point where that ownership becomes a sense of pride. And then when you ask them to move, they go and they do it. But you got to deliver them value. Everything comes down to value. You know, in this book, for example, I talk a lot about your ask. The ask is really when you go to move your audience. You have to earn your ask. The last chapter I have in the book is my ask. And my ask is basically to spread the word about the book, let people know about it, leave a great Amazon review, take a photo with the book and send it in so I could post it. Because what I'm saying to you is if I've delivered on everything that I promised, I start the book this way. I say, here's what I am going to give to you in this book. This is my goal is to give you this information, this knowledge so that you will be able to go out and do A, B, C, D, and E. Okay. If I deliver on this, I'm going to have an ask at the end, all right? This process of going from identifying and making those promises to being in a position to actually ask for the ask takes a long time. It's relationship building. If you think about the best friends you have and your best friendships uh, that you've cultivated, those friendships surely took some time. You didn't just walk up to somebody and go, hey, you want to be my best friend? You right. know what I'm saying? Right. But that's what people do. Like, you know, it's like going up to somebody going, hey, you want to give me money for my project? Hey, I'm crowdfunding today. Yeah, you and everybody else. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, I got, a, I got a movie. Yeah, you and everybody else. How, hey, how, I got many, a how many daily hits do you get or request on your social media for crowdfunding campaigns to promote their crowdfunding campaign? Crowdfunding campaigns, I probably get upwards of 25 a week. I would say <laughs> from, people, from people I don't know right. and requests to read scripts, look at reels, you know, uh, you name it, anything having to do with material, probably another 40 to 50 a week. So you're talking about, you know, 60, 70, 80 people a week who I don't know, who have never had any prior engagement with me whatsoever, um, that only know that I have this, this big network or, you know, uh, have seen me talk somewhere or whatever. Uh, that feel compelled to just that I'm going to go, yeah, of course you, you know, out of the 25 people that sent the crowdfunding campaign this week to me and, and said, you know, give me money or promote it. I'm going to promote you. You know, you're the lucky winner. <laughs> you know I, mean? I <laughs> give know. three of these cards out a, a week. Exactly right. <laughs> right. I go home with all three every week. <laughs> too harsh. I won't even too harsh. on it. Harsh? Is that too harsh? Is that too harsh? I will tell you this. Okay. It's, it's, God, I mean, I'm going to sound like such a dick, but I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm really not. I hope everybody realizes that. Please, honesty, honesty. I'm a place of pure honesty, and I hope you realize that that's not the case. But there are times, there has never been a time, sometimes I will get curious, 
and it's a morbid curiosity in a way. Sure. I will get the ones that people will say, I have three days left. You have to help me hit my goal. Uh, and I actually have one of these in the book, and I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was close, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody said to me, I got like three days left or I have 12 hours left. Like, what can you do to help me push this thing? And I, and I clicked the link to see the project and what the goal was and where they were at. Sure. And it was a 75,000 goal that had like, $388 in. And I was like, yeah, sure. Let me cut you a check for 74 and change. No worries. Let me get that. Let me get that right out to you. I get that. You know, exec- I but I get the executive producer credit though, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. Let me write that. But it's really is. It's true. I have, there has never been one time oh and, and I'm, and this is the God's honest truth. There has never been one time where I have uh, clicked through where the goal at that point, like if somebody says I only have a few days left, where the goal has been anywhere over like 20 to 25%. And you know, here's, let me, and let me take it in a positive direction too. A lot of people just don't know. I mean, it's not, you know, like I'm sitting here saying people are late and there are, there are people that are inherently lazy and people who do not want to put the work in. And you know, a lot of people who quit this business because they, they don't want to have, they don't have the patience for relationship building and for cultivating Mm -hmm. those relationships Mm -hmm. and everything like that. But there are genuinely some, genuinely some people that, you know, maybe they don't know where to go for the research and they don't know what to do. And, and I wrote, uh, an article for Medium like four years ago because it was you know it had it was exactly what we're talking about and I, it was called you know five mistakes you're making on or I, I forget the exact name it was something like five mistakes you're making on Twitter as it relates to your crowdfunding campaign or something like that and the thing got like eight thousand reads it was crazy it still gets a ton of reads and by if you want to check it out you just go to Medium and it's RB walks into a bar which is my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle uh, and you'll see the article there it's still up there but when people send me, and this just to just you know, you, you still try to be generous to people. And what will happen is when people do send me those crowdfunding campaigns, as long as they're not coming across as complete assholes, which some of them do, mm-hmm. okay, if they're coming across and they're like, hey, you know, you think you could help me or whatever, and it's like through a Twitter DM or it's through social media, what I'll normally do is I'll say, no, I can't help you. I don't know you. We haven't built a relationship. And, and you know, th- th- you're probably going about this the wrong way. Here's, uh, you know, give this, give this article a read and I'll actually send them a link to the article. <laughs> but you laugh, but, but here's the thing. Right. You're doing them a favor, but they're like, you know what? Fuck this guy. <laughs> no, no, that's what I was going to say. This is the surprising part. And this is what I'm saying. This is why not all people are bad. Uh-huh. Sometimes I'll get radio silence, but I will tell you more often than not, more often than not, people will write back and say, thank you. They'll say, I didn't, you know what? I didn't realize that. I didn't know that because they don't know. They just, no, it's not taught. Uh, it's not taught anywhere. It's not taught. And you know, and here's the other part of it. You know, they go to Indiegogo or they go to Kickstarter and they see all these things up there or they read the latest article about the latest success of the latest movie that played at sure. Sunday, you know, crowds that crowdfunded everything. And they think, oh, I could do that too. I know 10 people that'll give money to this thing. And I'm sure I can drum up another 50 that will do it. And it just doesn't work that way. It's, you know, the people that have these usually successful crowdfunding campaigns, and this was actually a story. I was on, on stage with a director at uh, the Director's Guild. We were giving a talk at the Director's Guild a couple of weeks ago, and he told this great story about how, you know, they raised, I forget what the number was, it was you know, but it was in the tens of thousands, high tens, I think it was like 80 or something like that. Mm-hmm. 
and he said, man, he goes, what I did, he goes, but I went to like everybody else that, you know, they talk about the friends and family week. He goes, I went to the friends and family and I, I asked him straight out, like, what are you thinking about putting towards the project? And not because I'm asking you because I think you're going to be cheap or you're going to be overly generous or anything like that. I just want to have an idea of what I'm going to be dealing with afterward. And what he said was, okay, I know that I have this number coming in. I'm not going to launch this thing for another six months because I still need about 80% more. So I'm going to spend six months building my relationships, telling people what I'm Mm. doing, shooting small clips of this, showing people what I'm looking to do, explaining it, asking people to get involved, giving away like, you know, spots on set, like who wants to be on set to come see it? You know, I'm going to take some students that are interested if you know anybody. Things that made it look like, hey, I'm a generous guy, which she is, and you know, I want to give back, which she does, but I also need your help. And he blew by his total because he spent the six months doing that. People don't want to spend those six Can months. Can you imagine? But the thing that they only see is like that that film got into Sundance and he crowdfunded it. They don't see all the work that mm-hmm. goes behind the scenes. And, like, and that's a lot of dedication. I got to give it to him. That's a lot of dedication for, for but, one project. But- but think about the flip side, Alex. I mean, right? What's the flip side? The flip side is is that you spend you know two months, uh, you know, putting the thing, you know, forty five days, let's say forty days, running a campaign, oh, yeah. m- miserable because every day you're waking up going like, oh, yeah. there's no money's coming in, no money's coming in. Then you spend the next two to three months depressed because right. or angry because it didn't work, right? As opposed to spending and 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 by the way, you spend those two to three months being depressed and angry that it didn't work, and you walk away with less than what you came in with because you don't have the money. You don't have the relationships and you've lost all that time as opposed to spending those six months building these unbelievable relationships promises and bam, you know, the second crowdfunding campaign is always easier than the first because of this one fact, everything that we just talked about. If you have a successful first campaign and you deliver on all your promises, when you go back that second time, people are going to be like, I don't give a shit what movie you're making. I'm going in. I'm in with you. And that's the P.T. Anderson thing I was talking about. You know, if P.T. Anderson had crowdfunded back in the day, if it was around, you know, Hard Eight, and he said, look, now I'm doing this, this Boogie Nights thing, and that next I would have been like, I'm all in. Are you kidding me? How can I help? You know what I'm saying? Because I'm such a fan of you, and I'm so jazzed about what you're doing, and you got some serious chops. I want to be a part of that. Right. So that's the thing, is that, you know, this relationship building and knowing your audience and how you engage them and how you give them that ownership matters so much. And that's why, you know, it's where we came in. Crowdsourcing to me right now is the most important topic for anyone looking to control their own content to build their brand or build a brand of the films. It just is. It just is. It gives you a competitive advantage that other people don't have. Now, can you talk a little bit about the actual social media platforms? Which ones are the best for filmmakers or not? Obviously, besides Stage Thirty Two. Well, if you're not on Stage Thirty Two, you just uh, you know you're, you're. I mean, seriously, come on, guys, get on just, Stage Thirty Two. Yeah. It's free. It's free, guys. Come on. Yeah, take your insulting word for that one. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I'm only kidding. I'm only just kind of. I'm kind of kidding. Um, too no, harsh. Too harsh. Too harsh. I, you know, I, well, yeah, I, you absolutely should be on stage32.com. And if you're not familiar with it, please put it into a browser and please look at it. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. But, but, uh, for me, look, everybody is different. Okay. I was never a Facebook guy. And it's one of the reasons why I started stage 32. I just didn't see any way to get traction on Facebook for my creative and, you know, the people that, 
the connections that I knew that were on Facebook that were in the industry, they were still sharing pictures of their dogs and their salads and their babies and not really talking <laughs> about the business. So uh, that really had no appeal to me. And to me, look, to me, my time is my most valuable commodity. And if I'm going to spend time on social media and networking, which I do every day and which I treat like a job and you should too, and that's another thing that people make a mistake on, um, I want to be on networks that uh, and platforms that get me the most bang for my buck for my time and give me the most access and, and the ability to, uh, you know, do all the things that we talked about earlier, you know, identify and engage in a, in a, in a, uh, sort of a, uh, you know, concise and quick manner, I guess, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way of putting it to me. I mean, for me personally, I'm on Twitter and I've been on there for a while and, uh, I like the fact that on Twitter, you, it's very, very easy to share content. It's very, very easy to let people know uh, that you're appreciative of the content that you're sharing, which, by the way, is giving them value. And mm-hmm. we can talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm also on Instagram. And the reason I like Instagram is because I think it's very easy with the hashtags on Instagram to be able to look at the various crafts and the various aspects of the business and see who's posting on those things and connect with them. I think it's very easy to get to people. Um, so those are the two that I really like, but look, uh, my suggestion would be, you know, to find the ones that work for you just because I don't like Facebook and because I think that they have major league problems. Yes. Now, definitely uh, now, excuse me. They're, they're, they're just, you know, and I'll, I'll go on a side note on Facebook. I, mm-hmm. I, I personally don't like Facebook. I hate mm-hmm. Facebook, but mm-hmm. yet it's the largest, it's my largest social media platform. And I do get a tremendous amount of attention and traffic and I connect with a lot of people on Facebook. But their business model is so just pisses me off. I've got over a hundred and I think a hundred and twenty thousand or something like close to hundred and twenty thousand followers on my my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I could barely get to any of them without having to pay. And it and pisses it. me off. It no, pisses that's me it. Off. I mean you know it's the same thing with the stage thirty two it's a it's a joke. And I'm not going to say that, you know, this, I'm not going to say who said this fallout was coming, but his initials are RB. Right. Um, <laughs> right. No, I mean, seriously, I just, it, it's, it's just a joke. It's, it's it back really to, is. back to MySpace, back to MySpace. It is, it is. And <laughs> it's why I'm not, you know, but again, I mean, I, it's also, you know, the, the content that's being shared, you know, one of the things when, when we were starting stage 32 and I told you I made that list of hundred people, one of the things I said to him is, you know, before I even told them what I was doing. I said, I actually polled them and I said, what platforms are you on? And of course, a lot of people at that time were saying Facebook. And I said to them, okay, be honest with me for as long as you've been on Facebook and keep in mind, these are all industry executives and, you know, working creatives. And I said, you know, what, have you gotten any jobs or anything that has given you traction towards, uh, anything progressive for your career or for Facebook and to a man and a woman, they said, no. And that's when I knew that, I, you know, I needed to move forward with this thing and have sort of concentrated networking. And again, even though Twitter and, uh, Instagram are broad based social media sites, you can tailor it to become a niche social media site, which I do the people I follow, the, the hashtags that I get involved in, um, you know, all of it are, it's all film and or business entrepreneurial related. And that's it. I don't worry about everything else. You know, I'm not on the hashtag. I'm not a Trump sucks hashtag. And I'm not, on, you know, it's, it's I'm right. doing the, the work. I'm doing the film stuff. You know what I mean? And that's what matters. So that's the other reason why I like those two platforms. But again, no matter what platform you're on, at the end of the day, it's really, really, really about what is the value that you bring? What, you know, 
part of my brand, and I know it's part of yours, Alex, is that part of my brand is to motivate and to inspire and to educate and to keep people that are serious about doing what they're doing in the game, um, to give them the support. I think as creatives, we're nothing without support. And, and, you know, I preach that a lot. So, you know, a lot of what I post on social media is educational. Uh, it's, it's inspirational. It's aspirational. I, I try to keep, you know, to those themes and to those, to that thought, those thoughts, because I think, it, you know, that's, what I'm about, you know what I mean? And, and I think that people, again, you need to know what your brand is. I told this story again at FilmCon this week and it's, it's, uh, it's just, a, it's a state of the right now story and I'll tell it really quick. But I mean, I got asked by a friend of mine that, well, first let me say, I mean, it, it, again, not to lose the train of thought, the brand matters and what you put out there matters and how you put things out there matters. Mm-hmm. And this is a story about how it matters. We, in this day and age, I, you know, a friend of mine was casting a film and said to me, look, we have these two actresses that we love. They both have incredibly different takes on the part, but they're both brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, we, the room is split. We don't know what to do. We've had them both in three times. Would you come down? And I said, yeah, I'll come down. I said, you know, I'm not going to be the guy. I'll try to help. I said, you know, I don't want to be the one that, you know, splits the room up. But I said, I'll come down. So I came down and sure enough, they they both were just brilliant. Mm -hmm. And for the next half hour, I watched the connections to this film just struggle and just, you know, who like this. And finally, one of the casting directors said, you know what? Let's let's see if they're on. Let's see what their online presence is like. Let's see what their online personas are like. And they went on to their Twitter accounts. And one of the actresses was uh, posting a lot about the craft and helping people, which was really really cool. Mm-hmm. And posting some unbelievably unbelievably great content having to do with acting in the business and great videos and stuff like that. The other person, uh, the other actress had, uh, you know, almost every single post was political. Oh, really? Political. 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 And, and, you know, getting into Twitter flame wars with people about politics. And this casting director turned around and said, look, you know, done. If this, you know, she, she seems very nice, but she may be very difficult to work with. And this one seems like a saint. I think we should give it to her. And everybody in the room went, done. So this girl lost out on a job for better or for worse or for right or for wrong because of what her online brand was. Her brand wasn't a creative. Her brand was this fire brand. Now, look, you want to be a political activist? Go be an activist. You, you know, we all have very strong opinions on what's going on in the world right now. I think mm-hmm. we all do. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't need to rage about them online. I can go to happy hour or to a dinner <laughs> or talk to my, you right. know, and sit down with people and talk about it. You know what I mean? I don't need to be raging to, you know, uh, Billy one, two, three, four, five and getting into a flame war with them, you know, about what's happening, you know, with, with Trump or something. Mm-hmm. It, it's, you know, it's just not, it's, it's not smart. It's, it's certainly not worth my time. If I want to be an activist about this, and I do do a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people don't know about, that's the point. I go and I do it on my time when I feel like, you know, it's the right time. But I don't need to be spending eight hours a day 
doing it on social media. I need to be on, if I'm going to have, if I have eight hours a day and I'm going to be on social media, you bet your ass that I'm going to be going out there making as many connections as I can and helping as many people as I can and building those relationships because that's really what matters at the end of the day. Now, can you, you, you were, you said this earlier today that you, you treat social media like a job. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? Cause I think it's something very important that people should hear. Absolutely. I spend at least an hour a day on networking and on, on relationship building. And that means that I'm usually a big majority of that is usually on stage 32 connecting with people, um, looking at, uh, you know, who's joined recently, um, who's posting in the lounge, which is our version of the forms, like who's really contributing. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand. We have Oscar winners, Emmy winners, Tony winner, Tony award winners, you know, influencers. We have people that are on this site are amazing. They don't all, uh, they're not all out there every minute of every day. And some of them, you know, kind of stay behind the scenes a little bit, but they're not hard to find if you put the work in and it's not hard to put the work in. I spend, you know, I put at least a couple of posts on Twitter every day and it's usually sharing content. I make sure to engage and respond to people who write to me, um, you know, and keep, you know, make them understand that if they're coming from a place of selflessness, that it's appreciated and that I am going to, you know, engage with them. Same thing on Instagram, but I try to spend at least an hour every single day. Now, is it realistic with me running stage 32 and writing and producing and all this other crap? Sometimes no, but you know what? I'll make it up on a weekend. I'll spend, you know, the, the reality of the situation is that I could be in line at Starbucks and, you know, be 10 deep and it's going to take me 20 minutes to get to the front. <laughs> I could be doing 20 minutes of networking as opposed to watching YouTube videos, right. you know, cat, cat videos. You know what I mean? But those cat videos with the cucumbers are funny though. Yeah. We see, <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm, I'm a dog person. I uh, know. I'm a dog person too. <laughs> That's why I like when the cats get scared because I'm a dog person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I heard cats and cucumbers and I had 7,000 jokes and none of them were appropriate. (laughs) None of them were appropriate. Anyone, anybody who has two seconds, just type in cat cat and cucumber and and YouTube and you'll you'll find out what I'm talking about. But anyway, you're absolutely right. Don't do that. Hashtag not me. Hashtag not me. (laughs) But you're right. You're right. You could be doing work while waiting in line at the bank or at Starbucks or wherever you are. Well, and it's just, you know, people make excuses all the time. I'm too busy. I'm too this. I'm too that. Look. There are plenty of times where I get up. I mean, you and I are exchanging emails this morning, I think at 5.45 in the morning. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's just the truth. I mean, it's, there are days where, sure, I'd love to lay in bed, you know, until seven or whatever, but it's like, you know, there's a million other things that need to get done. And I'm not saying that you should work to the point of exhaustion. What I'm saying to you is, is that if it matters that, you know, sacrifices have to be made. I mean, the thing that changed my entire screenwriting path, for example, um, was when I sat and said, okay, for the next six months, you know, I, I had written a few good scripts. I felt were pretty good anyway. I, let me, let me rephrase that three scripts that I felt were ready to be seen and be out in the marketplace and be out in front of people that could make a difference. And, you know, the gatekeepers and all that. And I said, I'm going to spend the next six months, you know, I'm, I'm going to cut down on the amount of nights I'm out going to dinner, uh, the amount of nights I'm out, you know, going to happy hour, going to, you know, drink with the guys or whatever, the amount of, uh, you know, this Starbucks I'm going to get and whatever. And I'm going to make, you know, a little bit of a war chest for myself. I'm going to invest in myself. And that means I'm going to really put in the time, you know, with the relationship building and the networking and making those connections. And I really did for six months. And, you know, I sacrificed a little sleep here and there and, 
you know, got up a little early, went to bed a little late and whatever. And it made all the difference in the world. You know, I ended up landing my manager, ended up getting the option of the, the, the film that's a covert that you referenced earlier. I mean, all these things happened during that time period, but it was a, it was a absolute commitment to putting in that time. So when I hear people say, oh man, you know, who has the time to build relationships? I just sit there and I go, I'm not going to make it. You're, you're, you're not, not going to, but you watch three hours of Netflix a night. Well, and that's the other thing too. It's like, you know, people, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you watch three hours of Netflix a night. You, you're chilling out. You do, there's always time, always time. And, and here's the thing. You're so right, man. And here's the thing we talked about earlier about your brand on social media and your brand and your brand and your brand. Just understand something. You can't hide <laughs> you're on social media. So what'll end up happening is I'll get people that will write me, like we'll do a podcast like this and, sure. and you know, or, or I'll do it like an onstage with RB on stage 32 and people will write me privately and they'll be like, you know, I heard you talk about like, you know, the sacrifices and I heard you saying that you got to do this and I, man, I got to tell you, it's just so difficult because I have this, that, and the other thing. This, and the first thing that I will do mm-hmm. when I hear people bitch and moan like that is I will go to Twitter or Instagram, usually Twitter. And because Twitter is more of the microblogging kind of sure. thing. And, uh, I will go look at that account and more often than not, it'll be somebody being like, just, you know, just took in 10 episodes of house of cards. It's like, <laughs> what a great season of stranger yeah, things. Six sucked. You know, season five was much better. It sucked. But you know, I could jump to season eight now or whatever. Like, you know, I, it's like, and you sit there and go, Oh really? No time. Oh, I got no time. Yeah. You don't have time, huh? Okay. <laughs> All right. So, you know. uh, so RB, tell us uh, where we can find this book. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, um, anywhere on, uh, anywhere where Amazon delivers books. I think if you're listening to this in the UK, I think they have their own special link, but you could, if you're in a place where you can't get it delivered through Amazon, you could go to focal press. Um, they have the book as well and they deliver anywhere in the world. And I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes. Yeah. But you know, uh, it's definitely obviously available on Amazon, uh, for Kindle and, uh, in paperback. And as a textbook, because as these things go, and I'm very, I'm very pleased about this. Apparently, there's quite a few schools interested in in teaching it. The one thing that I will say about this book, and you know, Focal, uh, you know, they they kind of come from an academic angle, and my agreement with them was that I did not want this to be sort of a stuffy book. So, you know, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and the banter I have with Alex, that's exactly what you're going to get in the book. I, I it told does, them, I, yeah, I, I, yes. <laughs> Yes. I told him, I said, listen, you're going to get my voice. There's not going to be any end of chapter homework assignments and checklists and all this happy horse shit. I said, it's going to be me talking and making it fun. And I, and I do think it's a very, very fun book. And, and, uh, well, I mean, your, your first chapter alone is called allow myself to introduce myself. myself. So that right. pretty much tells you, <laughs> it tells you the attitude of the book. It's a tone is set early on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, much to my editor's horror when I handed it in at first, and then then they were like, oh, wait, this is really, really freaking funny, and it, it should do well. And it has. So, I mean, so I'm pleased with that. But that's that's what you'll get. You'll get, you know, it's a very, very fun read and and uh, just, I mean, a ton of information. So, and, and all the case studies as well, which I was very, very grateful. And it, re- it really was one of the reasons why it took so long to write the book. Uh, you know, part of it was being tied up with other projects and everything like that. But part of it also was... I had so many great people that contributed and, you know, when you have as many people as, you know, uh, added their two cents to this book and, you know, helped, helped out with case studies and everything like that, 
you know, it takes a lot of time to collect all that information and get it all in. And, and so that's one of the reasons it took so long, but I think it was well worth it because I think the case studies alone are worth their weight in gold. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now you, not only are you an author, not only are you the CEO of running stage 32 and, um, and a screenwriter and all sorts of other things you do, you actually did a little bit of acting uh, this year uh, for the first time in a long time. Is that true? Well, yes, it is, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so, RB, uh, so the story is, guys, that uh, RB is actually in on the corner of ego and desire. He he plays a pivotal character in the movie uh, that I just shot at Sundance, and uh, you know, I, I remember I texted you mm. and I said, "Well, I told you a few months earlier that I was going to do it." Mm-hmm. And you looked at me like you're fucking nuts. No, I didn't. <laughs> that's not fair. Because I always, I you know, you always I, look well, at me like I'm fucking nuts. <laughs> I always, that's true. Yeah, I that's true. But I, but I, but I, you know, I, I always, again, I, you talk about crowdsourcing and you talk about relationship building. From the minute I met you, I'm like, this is a kindred spirit, which is really interesting. Because again, you don't have to have everything in common with somebody either. Right. Uh, you know, Alex doesn't drink. You know, I've been known to, you know, maybe once every few months have a cocktail. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm vegan. He's vegan, and you know, I'll, he's not. I, I, I hunt for my own food. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you know, Alex. If I asked him to go to a baseball game, he would be like, "Is that the big orange ball?" Okay. And, no. The first of all, that's not <laughs> true. I've look. You don't know. I've, I've, I played baseball, played football, played basketball. I know, I know the three. I thought, you actually did tell me that. I, I, I have played. So yes, I don't do but, it often now, but I, you know. No, <laughs> we bonded played. also, but we bonded over not only a love for film, but, but that we're, I think we're kindred spirits and, and that our missions are very, very much the same. And that, you know, we, we do like to give and we do like, you know, the, the everything that surrounds what we do on a day-to-day basis is, is very, very, very similar. It's almost exactly the same. So I consider you a brother. So when you yeah. said that to me, I was like, of course you're going to do that. And, and the other thing too is <laughs> you actually did ethic. say that. Yeah. Your work ethic is insane. I mean, they, you know, and that, which I also love and, and, you know, He's like, yeah, you know, I just pumped out like 40 podcasts. I got like 20 blogs going up and uh, I always shoot a movie at Sundance. I'm like, yeah, of course you are. And uh, why wouldn't you? Why, so not, the, shoot, so, why so, not shoot two? Exactly. Well, I was tempted, but there was only four days. But uh, <laughs> so what So what I just, I texted him uh, a few, I think it was like a week or so before. And I said, hey, um, I wrote this part for you. You know, will you be in it? And and he's like, of course, of course, I'll be at it. Let mm-hmm. me know what you need me to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he shows up to the scene, mm-hmm. which we won't break down too much because I don't want to ruin the scene. But mm-hmm. he shows up to the scene. It's late. Mm-hmm. There's th- there might be a couple of drinks in you. Well, it was a party. It was right? a party. It's, at a, it's at a party. It's at a party. And then you just mm-hmm. and you're like, so, so what am I doing? <laughs> like literally, I have to tell you that. Mm-hmm. Like we broke down the whole thing because there was no script. It was based on a script. Mm-hmm. So we kind of worked the scene out. I mean, we had the scene structured there, mm-hmm. but it was all just kind of done in in the moment. Yeah. While we're batting off drunks trying to get out into the balcony. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was it was an interesting yeah. So that yeah, I'll, I'll tell you my version. Yeah, tell me from your part. <laughs> I want to hear from your side of the fence. My side of the fence. Because I'm on my side of the fence, I'm literally in the party holding a light up at the ceiling, bouncing <laughs> it at you while I'm going, action. Action. Exactly right. <laughs> So yes, it is true that Alex asked me. Actually, you actually asked me a while ago, but then you texted me and said, "So we're definitely doing this." And I'm like, "Okay, That's awesome." What it is. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, "Yeah, whatever, whenever you need me, and whatever I'm going to be up there for, you know, like seven days or however many days I'm going to be up there." And 
you know, every day, you know, you're available at this time. You bet Mike, you know, going to do it this night. Oh, I can't do it tonight. And, you know, on both ends. And then finally, I'm like, dude, we, he's like, Alex says, I'm leaving tomorrow. He goes, like, we got to do it tonight. And I'm like, well, what time tonight? And he's like, well, we'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean we'll figure it out? I mean, because if you're at Sundance, if you know anything about it, there is six million events going on at once. Sure. And you're being pushed and pulled sure. to everything. It's like, you got to be here. You got to be there. Like you show face for five seconds here, five seconds, just running around the freaking town. Not that I'm complaining. I'm just saying that's just a fact. And But this party that Alex is going to film at does go on every year. And it's one of the, you know, well-known parties and it's in like a double condo kind of thing. And it's, you know, it's probably what a couple hundred people there. You'd say, Oh God, it was packed this year. Yeah. Was, I mean, it was crazy. At least a couple hundred people at there. At least. And Alex goes, we're going to film at the freaking party. I'm like, how the hell is he going to film at the party? Now I'm thinking like, okay, maybe before the party starts and we'll have a couple of people that don't act as like extras, or whatever. No, 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 no. <laughs> as the night's going on, I'm getting the text saying, I'm like, well, now? now? No, not yet. Not yet. So, oh, no, course. you showed up before the party. Don't forget, you showed up before the party just to kind of say hi. Oh, I did. That's right. You I, came by, you're like, okay, so what, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, it's going to be later tonight. We're shooting other stuff right now. And yeah, you're like, I'm like oh, fantastic. Oh, Great. Okay, I'll see, I'll see you around 12, 1230. <laughs> and I said to Alex, I said, you know, okay, that, you know, the, the, the sort of meetings and the parties and everything started at like noon. So, I can't promise you that I'm going to be completely coherent at this point. And, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was actually counting on it, sir. I got not to be right. So, you know, a <laughs> couple more co cocktails. And now I walk in and I just want to emphasize that Alex <laughs> stated earlier. And I want you guys heard it. If you want to rewind it, you'll, you'll hear him say it again, that he wrote a part for me. Yeah, I did. And I walked in and I said, okay, so where's the script? And he goes, oh, no, no, there's no script. Stand over there. That's just what I, up, I wrote it. I, there was a scriptment, but I just didn't like, give you the scriptment. I could just explain it to you. He goes, stand over a scriptment. He goes, stand over there. <laughs> and I'm like, stand over here. He goes, and I go, and he's like, okay. And all of a sudden they're setting up lights and I meet the, the other actors and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, Hey, it's so great to be working with you. I'm like, that's fantastic. I go, do you, do any of you know what the hell this movie's about or what's going on? I, you know, <laughs> exactly I go, I, I go, you know, Alex told me like, you know, that like months ago, what the idea was, but it, so the idea was right. I remember the idea. So I got that. And then they're like, Oh, okay. So, you know, so then finally I pull out this, he's like, okay, I think we're getting set up. I think we're going to just be a couple minutes away from shooting. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> Alex, should, I, still... I, I guess you seriously, like, you know, just, you know, two minutes. Get, I just need two minutes. Yeah. I'm like, give me a nugget. Give me, you know, give me like word association. Anything. Sounds like uh, anything, whatever you want to do. I'm like, even Brando was able to, I'm not going to compare myself to Brando, but at least Brando, I mean, he could pin the lines to Jimmy Khan's chest and the Godfather. I'm like, do something, hold up a cue, hold this, something. What do you need me to do? I'm very Cassavetes that way. You are very Cassavetes. <laughs> and, but then, you know, it was explained to me and I totally got it. And, uh, it was awesome. And then we, it was, it was hilarious because we filmed part of the scene inside the room. And then Alex says, okay, now we got to take it outside. And it was about six degrees out. Was, and, don't uh, exaggerate. It was like it was <laughs> eight, like eight. Maybe. It was eight. Maybe like eight degrees. And you know, of course, none of us are wearing jackets or anything. And he goes, Oh, you're just gonna be outside for like two minutes. And we were outside for about thirty. Thirty. But <laughs> well, you were warm because you had your drink in your hand. You were good. I did have my drink in my hand and and uh <laughs> it was no, it was truly, truly an awesome experience. Basically, everybody who's somebody in Hollywood has seen this movie, Alex, <laughs> now let me see it until we have our date together. I have to go. 
I have to go somewhere with him to watch it with him, He's even not though everybody else. I haven't seen it. You know, I have not seen it. I, you know, and not everybody in Hollywood has seen this. Yet. Please, <laughs> just don't exaggerate. Just, I just know. a, few, just a few Academy Award winners. But that's it. Just, just a, few. a few Academy Award winners, right? Who, who emailed me and they're like, "Dude, congratulations on the movie. You're great in it." I'm like, "How the frick did you see it? <laughs> that was the what best. is going on?" I'm like, what is happening? RV actually, when we, I was at FilmCon, and he like first words out of his mouth when he sees me at FilmCon, he's like, "I've got a bone to pick with you. How the hell did this guy see it before I did?" I'm like, "Oh, we got to talk, bro. We got to talk." Damn it! I can't believe he told you. <laughs> Unbelievable, man! Unbelievable. No, it's an amazing experience, and I got to say, I mean, uh, you know, all in all seriousness, I mean, kudos. I mean, it's it's amazing what you pulled off and how you did it, and also I got to say. The actors that I got to work with, um, you know, it's it's interesting for me because I, as you know, I started as an actor in theater. I haven't done a lot of acting in a long time, and you know, it's it's interesting how it, a lot of it comes back to you from the standpoint of being in front of other actors. And you had, and you know, and, and just that listening, and just you know, that that thing where you just kind of relax because acting is reacting kind of thing. And, yep. and that's all I kept saying to myself is just, you know, react to whatever is being thrown at you. And these, uh, three actors that you put me in the scene with were just so good and so giving. Mm -hmm. And it just reminded me of, uh, you know, the best people I worked with in theater back in the day, back in New York, um, that, you know, that the best ones were always the ones that gave so much. And these three actors were just amazing and you were great and, and just all of it. It was just such a, it was an awesome experience. And, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was a little, it, it was such a wonderful, you know, when, when you came in, cause th there were still bets out. They were like, Arby's not going to come. I'm like, Arby's coming. <laughs> Arby's wow, coming. That's really, <laughs> that's, that's what, see, they don't know my brand. There that's, is no way I would have. I don't and, let I, it. I, and I go, Arby's going to be here. I promise you he would not, he would never do that to me. He's going to be here. I promise you. And like, you know, they're like, I don't know. I don't know. It's getting late. So I'm 1230 already. I'm like, eh, don't worry. RB will be here. I promise. And then you show up and exactly what I expected you to have. You had the exact amount of alcohol in you that I wanted. <laughs> so you were exact. He was very, you were being very Daniel Day because you were literally method. Because you were the producer at the party at the time that we were filming was pretty much the time they would have found you at the party, which was like 1231. And we're shooting this scene. And I was like, this is perfect. So Arby's just you, you, you have enough alcohol in you. So you're not too subconscious about your, your performance. So mm -hmm. you're just rolling with it. And mm -hmm. it just kind of flowed. And the one thing I loved that you did was I wanted you to be a bigger dick in the scene. And mm. you couldn't be. You're like, Alex, I can't. It was hard, yeah. I can't. Because I actually busted out some lines for you on my paper that I wrote for you. And I said, <laughs> read this. And you're like, I can't. I can't do that. Like, I can't. I can't. I can't say this. So because your unwillingness to be a dick, it, mm -hmm. the scene works so much better. Because on top of it, it was authentic to who you were as a human being. And because of that came straight off onto the screen and the other actors felt it as well. So the whole scene, I cried when I edited that scene for the first, I called you when I was editing it. I'm like, I, 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 yep. I, I, I'm bawling on this scene because I've been in that scene too many times in my life um, mm. to, to count. So it was just a wonderfully emotional scene. It's a great scene. Uh, and, uh, and you killed it and you killed it. It was, it was really, really wonderful to watch you uh, go through all that. I know you had a ball cause you're, 
you, 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 some outtakes that you had were <laughs> the stuff that was, oh, I can't wait to see that <laughs> stuff that was coming out of her mouth was insane. <laughs> oh man. The, you know, and that's the thing too. It's so funny. It's interesting that you brought up the part about it. Cause you did say that to me from the beginning. You were like, you're going to be, you know, you got to be a dick and you got to be, you know, you're the producer and you know, they're coming to you. And, and it was, what was interesting was again, that's that, that instinct that I was talking about that it was so bizarre to me, almost like out of body in a weird way that it came back in that way. And, re- and, like almost like flashbacks to being uh doing stage plays and stuff was that this like it's not that i couldn't play that but because what they were giving me i didn't feel like i wanted to do that and and that was so interesting to me in the aftermath and uh but it's really really cool i mean i just like i said and that that just speaks to how awesome those actors were but it was you know just going back a, a notch um, you know, the funny thing, funny side to this whole entire thing, you were talking about them saying, I'm not going to show up, I'm not going to show up where I was prior to coming there was I was at the covert media party sure. for Ophelia, which played at Sundance. And, and again, covert is, is the company that bought my screenplay that's in development on my screenplay with yada, yada, yada. And so I'm at this party having a really good time. And I know a lot of people there and I'm like, I got to go. And they're like, what do you mean you got to go? Because this party's going to like two in the morning. And I'm like, no, no, I got to go. And they're like, where do you got to go? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I got to go act in a movie. And they're like, what do you mean you're acting? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What the hell are you talking? Like every, like every single person I said it to, because every single person that was like, where are you going? I'm like, I, I got to go do a scene for a movie. They're like, you going to watch a movie? Like, what are you catching a midnight screening? I'm like, no, no, I have to go act in a movie. And they're like, what do you mean you're acting? It was hysterical, man. It was, it's, yeah, because actually, hysterical. actually your director was at that party. Yes. And your director, when I met him at FilmCon, he's like, Wait a minute! You're the movie he went to go do because <laughs> he tell, kept telling everybody he was going to go and do a movie. I thought he was just BSing. It's like, no, he's really do- no. But that was the funny part about the whole thing is like anytime I mentioned it to anybody, I'm like, oh, I'm shooting a movie. No one understood what I was talking about because it's just something that's never been done, and you really don't do. <laughs> no, you no. really don't and- shoot a full feature film at Sundance. It's just not something that's done or ever has been done. So when you say you're doing it. You sound like a crazy person. So I'm sure the looks that you were getting, you're like, I'm sorry, what? You're, sh- you're shooting a movie? What? Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> you're filming a scene. What? What? No. And I mean, and just the way you guys went about it, like I said, and, and the efficiency, like, you know, again, and that's the other part of it too. And, you know, we, we've gone through this whole, uh, this whole podcast, you know, talking about the things you need to do and not making excuses and everything like that. Like, right. Your what you did up there, and you know even what you what you did with this is Meg, and and you know it it's so impressive, and it's leading by example in a lot of ways. I mean, you're practicing what you preach, which is, you know, no excuses, and you can go do it, and you don't necessarily need to raise a ridiculous amount of money, and you don't, you know, there's ways around everything, and there's ways to tackle it, and it's just the people that you know, the people that really really want to do it, and the creatives that really really want to do it, find a way, and that was the thing that was so impressive about that. That's why when you, I mean. You, I did get to see the trailer. Yes. And when you sent me the trailer, you know, I was blessed with the, uh, you know. I, I should have held back. <laughs> with the viewing of the trailer. I, you know, I felt like I was no, going no. to be able to watch when I sent you it. When I sent you the trailer, you your reaction was priceless. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. I was, I was, first of all, I was stunned. I'm like, whoa, well, I'm being graced with the trailer. But when I watched it, I was like, you know, because, you know, there's scenes – on the shuttle and there's scenes in the street and there's scene, and I sat there and I just said to myself, like, you know, this is a perfect example of, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And where, you know, if you really, really want to go do it, 
you're going to find a way to do it. And, uh, you know, I was reading an article recently. It was funny. I forget which Hitchcock movie it was, but they were talking about one of the stars was talking about him, you know, him stealing shots on the New York street. And, you know, that Hitchcock. Yeah, they were talking about the fact that they just didn't even want to wait for the goddamn permits or something like that, or the cops, you know, moved them from one street to the next or whatever. And Hitchcock was like, screw it. Like, you know what I mean? When I, you know, we're just going to do it. And I, you know, and the point of the matter that what they were trying to get across was Hitchcock's mentality in that moment was art above all and our, and our mission above all. And, uh, I think that's what everybody has to embrace. I'm not saying go out there and break the law, although I, you know, you might have fractured. I'm saying you might have fractured. You know, it's <laughs> in your in your early days. You might have fractured a few. I mean, you know, <laughs> less than less than maybe my brand indicates, but you know, uh, but you get my point. I mean, I it's just you. that where there's a will, there's a way, and that was it was so impressive. It was so impressive what you get, what you did. I mean, and, I and uh, you know. Hopefully I'll get to see it before, um, you know, it's, it's at some major festival or something like that. Or if it, I don't get to see it until it's at a major festival, maybe I'll get an invite or, you know, maybe somebody will, you know, <laughs> talk, you know record a couple of scenes on their know, iPhone and show. I don't know if I said it or you said it, but I know what, I think when you saw the trailer, you're like, wow, it looks like a real movie. <laughs> no, I did not say that. I think I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I did not say that. I knew it would look like a real movie. I knew it would look like a movie. I did not say that. But thank I you. For, not, for, I will but, not be. I will, I will not, not be, be my brand will not be tarnished, sir, on your podcast. That's right. I will not have that comment hung on me. I can see that on the I can see that on the post, sir. Wow, it looks like a real move. RB Bonto, stage 32. <laughs> that is so going on the poster now. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> All right. So a few last questions because you know, as as I expected, this this uh interview sure. is gonna go long. Um, and we could probably keep talking for a few hours. Our record, by the way, I think is like two hours and 40 minutes on that. Oh, forgot. I forgot that the, the uh, Oscar special we did. So this is number six. Oh my God. That's right. There's another one. That wow. Was- people got to really, de- I'm, I'm just going to, I'm lapping the field right now. <laughs> okay. So, um, what advice would you give a filmmaker or screenwriter wanting to break into the business today in today's world? First and foremost, control as much as you can control. I think that people are so anxious to give stuff away these days. Like, you know, for example, writers, which is having this conversation yesterday with a, 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 de- a development executive at a very, very big production company um, that I was having lunch with, who, you know, she said, you know, writers are and filmmakers are so anxious to get representation and to, you know, just kind of give away everything. And and they think that by doing it, by relinquishing that control, things are going to move forward. But at the end of the day, really, you are your own best advocate and, and you always will be. Um, to me, in this day and age, controlling, you know, we're we're living in such a content rich and, and uh, uh, sort of a renaissance, really, of content. Um uh, creation. I think that if you can control as much as you can control for as long as you can control it, you're going to win more days than you lose. And, uh, and the other part about breaking in is to just realize again, not to beat a dead horse, but it's the truth that the way you get a competitive advantage in this business is, is treating that relationship building, which you could start doing today as a job and recognizing the fact that this is a marathon and not a sprint. It is a freaking, if you can embrace that philosophy, by the way, Yep. You can embrace that philosophy 
that this is a long game. Like when people say I'm going to give myself two years, <laughs> like I, I hear this from actors, I hear this from writers, I hear this from filmmakers. Like I moved out to LA, I'm going to give myself two years. You're I'm done. like, you're, you're done. done. You're, done. you're done because you're not, you're going to be, you're, you're setting a ticking clock on yourself, which is never a good thing. Like me saying earlier, I decided I was going to take six months to be serious about it. That's a totally different thing. That's a strategy. Okay. I wasn't saying that if I didn't get traction, I was saying that I knew I would get some traction because I was going to put in the time and the effort and I was confident in it. But the people that, you know, kind of step in and it's their first day, or if they even been around for a year and they say, oh man, there's nothing's happening. You have to, instead of looking at the business and saying it's so tough. Okay. You have to look at the things that make it easier. You have to give yourself the competitive advantage. Um, you know, can I, can I tell, I know we're going kind of long, but can yeah, I tell this from a screenwriting perspective, for example, okay, I'll just use screenwriting. When I first started screenwriting and again, I had produced for years. So I, it's not like I didn't know how, how many screenwriters were out there and all that stuff, but it's different when you're doing it. And when I was doing it, I remember going to a panel where somebody said, you know, let me tell you, man, it's tough out there. There are 50,000 scripts that get registered with the WGA every year. And those are just the ones that get registered. There are hundreds of thousands being written every year and being submitted around town. Blah, 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 blah. Right. And everybody in the room got deflated, right? But I started thinking about that and I started talking to people in the business, right? And here's what I learned after talking to a lot of people. Sure, there are 50,000 scripts that are submitted to the WGA every year. Probably 45,000 of them are complete garbage. And that's not a lie. Okay. Sure, it's just the sure, truth. Sure. And people who are in the know and people who read these things and people who read for contests will tell you this. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, then you sit there and you go, okay, out of those 5,000. And by the way, it's probably more than 45,000. I was going to say it's probably more than 45,000. Uh, let's, let's, let's say, let's say it's 49,000 because I don't even think that that's out of the room. I don't mean shit, but not good enough because sure. it needs to be great. Okay. So at least a thousand scripts, right? Out of those thousand, some people, are going to have connections that are going to allow them to get reads. And a lot of people aren't. If you're one of those people that are going to get reads, you know, maybe you're cutting it down to 500. Maybe you're cutting it down to 250. And I'm talking about a great script that gets reads. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is, and I could, and I could keep going down the list because there's about five other things I can name. But the point of the matter is, is that once I started thinking about it in those terms, the first thing I said to myself was, I have got to write a script that is undeniably the best I can do. Okay. Sure. And then the second thing I need to do is make sure that I am doing everything in my power to win champions that want to go out there and tell other people that they know you need to read this script. And I need to be making those relationships directly with people that can move the needle on my career. And that's all I set out to do. And within two years, I had a manager. Okay. And within, you know, six months after that, I had, you know, the paid option at covert and it's, it, it you know, so, cause it shortened the game because mm -hmm. that's what I focused on. Right. So control what you can control. Don't listen to all the noise. Don't listen to all the naysayers. If you hear the statistics and the negative, understand that for every negative statistic, there's a positive side to it. Be the positive side of it. Now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? Man, that's a tough question. I know you sent you sent me that question like two minutes before we went on the air, so you gave me a lot of time. So, so I can give, it, so I can at least yeah. say I sent it to you. Spontaneous, you did. You did send it to me. <laughs> you bastard, you. Um, it's tough to say one book. I mean, business wise, there's been quite a few, and I think sometimes with business, you know, it, it translates again because we're all entrepreneurs onto the creative side. So, 
Uh, I did like Zero to One by uh, Peter Thiel recently. I'm talking about things that are more recent. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Zero to One, Creativity Inc. I think is an amazing oh, book. Such a great yeah. book. That's a such a great book. book. And I mean, it gives you and it gives you a look into the philosophy of all this stuff, um, and the, and the philosophy of being a creative and the philosophy of uh, sort of you know creating sometimes in isolation, but then having to collaborate. Um, it's very very interesting stuff. I highly recommend that book. You know, there's been so many and, you know, for the business side of things, I mean, I mean, from the industry side, uh, you know, the William Goldman books, which lied mm-hmm. that are great because, you know, again, the reason I love the Goldman books, I mean, they're timeless in, in a lot of ways, even though, you know, he wrote some of the biggest movies of the sixties and seventies and he still continued into the eighties, nineties. Um, you know, he's such a, he's such a straight shooter and he's, you know, there's no bullshit with him, which I love. He's unvarnished. And, and the, but the great thing about it is that you realize when you read a book like that, that even the biggest and the best are on the grind always mm-hmm. never get off the freaking grind people. I say this to people all the time. Okay. Everybody says, Oh God, you know, become a star. It's so much easier. Hey, you get a manager. It's so much easier. <laughs> and I'm like, not. Listen, man, here's the two examples I'll give you. Spielberg had to go to India to get the money for Lincoln. Yep, yep. Scorsese had the rights to silence for 30-something years or 20-something years, and nobody would make it with them. Okay? Mm-hmm. He, you know, he had to find a champion. He had to find somebody that was willing to go to war and go to bat and that understood what he was looking to do. And it didn't end up working out great as far as financially maybe, but – the point of the matter is, is that even as big as he was, as he is, you know, that he, uh, you know, he was on the grind with that, with that property mm-hmm. for over 20 something years. So, you know, that's the reason I like, which lie did I tell? And, or I'm sorry, no, it's not, I'm sorry. That's not which lie did I tell. It's adventures in the screen trade, mm-hmm. the golden books, which is in the screen trade and more adventures in the screen trade. Um, who wrote, which lie did I tell? Oh, I forgot. Who t- I forgot. Is that Art Linson? Linson? I think Was so. Is that him? I think it so. Might be him. That's a good book too. But 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 the the uh, Goldman books are, are better. Um, Rebels on the Black Backlot is another good one. It's all about the mm-hmm. the indie renaissance in the late '90s, and it you know follows the careers of Tarantino and P.T. Anderson and uh, Easy Riser, Easy Riser, Easy Riser, Easy Riser, Riser Bulls. Bulls. All the reason I like all this, I wouldn't say they're life changing or they changed my life. What they did was they gave me enormous perspective into the inner workings of this business. And the more you understand the inner workings of this business, and the more you understand that nobody does anybody, nobody is going to greenlight a project as a favor. Okay. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like people are like, wow, it must be easy. Like, wow, you know, like you could just write something. No, 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 no. no. You, you, everything has to be excellent. You may open a door. You may get a door open because of a favor and because of your relationships. In fact, you will. Okay. But that's the thing. Your craft, your, your, your ability to build relationships gets you in the room and your craft wins the room. Amen. 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 And uh, what's the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? I think I'm still learning them. I think the film business, I mean, you always are, but I think the film business one, I think that, you know, when I was, there was a, a, a piece of advice that I got when I was acting that changed everything for me, perspective wise, when I was going on auditions. And that was, you know, I can't, you know, in, especially in the, Man, the, the theater actors in New York are a breed unto themselves. I mean, you know, everybody, you know, goes on all these auditions and then they, you know, everybody goes and drinks and, you know, they go meet, right, right. They, go meet they go meet down by Broadway at all the places that the Broadway actors go, who are, by the way, even the ones on Broadway are bitching just as much as the ones that can't get jobs anywhere. Right. And 
you know, I went in and I'm like, ah, you know, this casting director, da, 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 you know, the table, this, and that. And this experienced actor who was a friend of mine just turned to me at one point and just, he pulled me to the side and he just said, you know, they want to like you, right? You know, they want to hire you, right? They don't want to think you're bad. They don't want to think you're not right. They want to think you're right. Their job is to find you. You know what I mean? It's the, it, it's, and it put me on my heels because I looked at everything as being sort of adversarial. Right. Because this is such a business of no. And that's the thing. I mean, we hear no every freaking day. And it is a business of no. That made me sit there and say, okay, all right. Everybody has a job to do in this business. Everybody has somebody to answer to in this business. Everybody. If you're a producer, you got to answer to the financiers. If you're a mm-hmm. filmmaker, you got to answer to the producers and so on and so forth. Okay. Nobody wants to work with people who make their jobs more difficult. So that life lesson of sort of, you know, look, if you get criticism, you know, like, especially for people who get notes, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a screenwriter and you get notes to not be defensive, even if you think the note sucks, you got to fucking digest it. You got to parse it and you got to apply it either in the script or in the film or apply it to a lesson, apply it to something, apply it in a way that you say, you know what? I reject that, but that's fine. You know, everything you need to absorb everything and you can't be, you can't be worried about deflecting everything at all times because at the end of the day, you're going to run into people that know what the hell they're talking about. You're going to run into people that don't know what the hell they're talking about. You're going to run into two people that know exactly what they're doing, who have completely different opinions about your art or your talent. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. how you navigate it. And if you navigate it with an openness and with class and with charm, but inside just understanding that everything that everything that comes out of somebody's mouth is a piece of information to be digested parsed and then applied in some way, that's how you're going to win. And that was the lesson that I kind of took away from that, uh, conversation. And that helped me enormously when I went out for my first piece of screenwriting, uh, feedback and was like, you know, for five minutes, I was like, these assholes don't realize what a great freaking script I wrote. Are you <laughs> and then I sat there and I thought about my friend, my acting friend. And I went, well, maybe they do know a little bit more than I do. And maybe I should listen to this. And, and once I did that, I had a totally different perspective on things. And, and so that's the biggest lesson, I think, as it relates to the business. Now, uh, where can people find you? Uh, my home address? Yes, home address, if you could, please. Address and work address? <laughs> um, they can find me. Obviously, you can find me on Stage 32. If you're on Stage 32 and you just put literally stage32.com backslash RB, you'll go right to my account. But if you if you haven't signed up for Stage 32, when you do, the first thing you'll see on your wall is me. Uh, that's an automated message, but every other every other post that you see from me on that site, and I think it's over 300,000 now, I've been told by my tech team, um, is me. It's me responding. So you can feel free to write me or send me a DM. I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram, like I said earlier, at RB Walks Into a Bar. Exactly what it sounds like. Of course. Yep, RB Walks Into a Bar. Uh, and as one of my friends says, and nobody walks out. And <laughs> uh, also on Medium, RB Walks Into a Bar for some of my content. And obviously the book, uh, Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers, Indie Film with the Power of the Crowd, is on Amazon. RB, this is as uh, this has been an epic uh, interview as always, sir. Epic conversation as uh, always, my friend. Absolutely, always my favorite, bro. I, you know, <laughs> thank you. You dropped some 
major knowledge bombs today to the tribe and and I think uh I think this is uh this this should be included this little in this conversation should be included in every copy of uh crowd crowdsourcing for filmmakers put a little USB in it I'm just saying I hey listen I'd be down with it if I can get my publisher to answer my emails I don't know <laughs> <laughs> Thank you my friend as always Thank you Alex I appreciate it brother as promised, there were some major knowledge bombs dropped in this episode. RB, thank you so much for coming on, spending the time with the tribe, and uh, hopefully educating everybody a bit about crowdsourcing and the importance of, it, of of crowdsourcing when trying to create a sustainable independent film career. Now, if you want to get uh, RB's book, you can head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 230 for the link to his book and everything else we discussed in this episode. And before I go, I got two announcements. If you have not signed up yet for the Bulletproof Screenplay Podcast, my new podcast dedicated to just the craft and business of screenwriting, head over to screenwritingpodcast.com and sign up on iTunes. Or you could just go to bulletproofscreenplay.com and it'll take you to the website where you can sign up through any of your favorite providers. And announcement number two, don't forget, April 9th, we are releasing Susan Lyons' Indie Film Producing Masterclass. It's over six hours of a workshop that she usually charges $2,500 to attend, and I convinced her to let me record it so I can bring it to you guys, the Indie Film Hustle tribe. It is invaluable, and it'll teach you everything you need to know about how to raise money, contracts, uh, SAG deals, everything you need on how to produce an indie film. And if you want to get in early and get early access, plus a small discount as well, email me at ifhsubmissions at gmail.com. I'll put you on the list, and you will get the course a little earlier than everybody else, and you're going to get a discount from the normal $90 price tag. And that is the end of this episode, guys. Don't forget, Wednesday we'll be releasing a new episode of the Bulletproof Screenplay podcast as well and then you will have another brand new episode at the end of the week thank you guys for all the support and please make sure you tell as many people as you can if you if you can tell five friends about the podcast about what we're doing at any film hustle to get the word out for everybody to help as many filmmakers as we can i greatly greatly appreciate it and as always keep that hustle going keep that dream alive and i'll talk to you soon Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.